and benvenuti to the seventh episode of In the Shadow of Vesuvio. My name is Henry Bell and I am here to talk to you about all things Napoli. This is the podcast in English that gives you the Napoli perspective on SSC Napoli, but I'm not the person that does that. My co-host, Michele Borelli at Napoli Tickets, who has literally sat in the shadow of Vesuvio, will do this. Michele, ciao, come stai? How are you doing today? Hello, guys. Hello, Henry. All fine here. I mean, we know what happened on Monday, but except that it's it's everything is fine. And I just want to say that um, compared to last week, I will be much more stable this time. I'm not as upset, which is maybe worse, but because I'm defeated, I'm not upset, but I'm stable. So I will not uh, probably this episode will not be as depressing, even though some people liked it. A lot of people some- liked it. Yeah. We got more good feedback from the last episode. <laughs> People like anger. We live in an angry world. People like to hear me be miserable, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. We're actually going to make sure your life is miserable from yes. now on. Because that equals listeners. And we, yes. as we know, Michele, we do anything for listeners. Absolutely. This is episode number seven. What is number seven in the Napoli Tombola? It's the vase. The vaso. O vaso. Very straightforward, straightforward, no metaphor behind it. It's just a simple... Just a vast, vast the yes. thing. Yeah. Any is that, do you think? Or? No, you know what? Because it's actually a lot of people believe that uh, vast, the vase of us in Napolitan means the kiss, because that's actually how we say it in Napolitan. It's okay. the kiss, the bacio in Italian, yeah. in Napolitan is of us. So it's basically the same pronunciation, but it's actually a misconception. That's not the same thing. Ovas, in this case, is just the vas. The plain old vas. And actually, that could be quite a mix-up, couldn't it? If you were visiting Naples as a you know, classic English-American yeah. tourist, you could end up in a very different situation to the one you were possibly imagining. Give me a vas and then they kiss you. Yeah. Or maybe I mean, they slap you, it depends. From the sounds of some of your tales from Napoli nightclubs, the some of the, the Napoli players were giving out a lot of vases. Maybe, or maybe not. Who knows? We haven't got the lawyer yet, Michele. We're, we're not ready for it. Sorry. Look at me, trailing, trying to get us arrested. Um, we'll give some details in at episode 50 of the podcast. Okay. So if we still exist and people really like it, and I mean, I think by the time we get to episode 50, we're going to have like, we're going to be in the billions of listeners, I think. I think, and, yeah. I think literally every single person in the world will listen to this. I agree. I think so. Yeah. So I will reward all of them for their loyalty by revealing some spicy details about Napoli's nightlife involving Napoli players. Or we can just encourage listeners to go towards towards you and come to Naples and you can sort them out tickets. Anyway, I'm going to stop promoting you, Michele. I, I have no reason to do so. So, okay. It was Easter. So usually we talk about, we begin with a little bit of non-football. And actually, this week, let's really try to postpone talking about that game against, um, against Roma for as long as possible. So, so tell me, 
What's Easter like in Naples? Crazy. It's, um, you know, it's like a second Christmas, basically. I've been talking to uh, a few friends in, like from abroad and they were like, oh, you know, like here Easter is not as big uh, like Americans and stuff. But here it's actually quite, quite big. Easter is basically like a warmer Christmas, you know, like a, it's like I meet some people, some some of my family members, I only meet on Christmas and Easter. So those are the occasion where usually like families gather and eat together. Yeah, it's maybe it's even like it's more religious than Christmas even because the tradition is that obviously the, um, um let's say the, how do you say? I don't know. Like I'm, I'm confused. Like the, the boss of the family, like the family, the, the breadwinner, the, the head of the family. Yes, would before before uh, starting lunch would basically stand up and uh, give his blessing. Like he give a speech and his blessing to the family. Then he he takes an olive branch, he dips it in holy water, and just um, and just waters us all. Basically, just he throws holy water at us. From the, by shaking the olive branch on our faces, basically it becomes a little bit violent, even. Because right. yeah, so yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. My father did that this year because okay. unfortunately my grandparents passed away. It's usually like the the oldest person at the table usually sure. does that, and uh, yeah, my father who is not a really religious person, yeah, actually did that, and yeah, it's, it's quite it fun. Nice? It's yeah, if you have like different families in the around the table, you usually pass it on. To the other head of the family, and then the other, and then the other, and they usually bless their own family members and everyone else at the table. So yeah, okay. I think this this year at my house we were maybe like fifteen. We we're supposed to be only 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 us, only like the close family, and then a lot of people join at the last minute. So and yeah, is was... that is that common? Does that happen often? If you're planning a small thing and you get and you get more? Yes, in my house, yes. But yeah, no, it's quite common everywhere. I mean, you don't want to be alone. In, uh, Christmas or Easter, and uh, usually Napolitan houses are very have open doors, you know. So you, you don't really need to like you ask, and you're basically automatically invited, especially I for these it. occasions. I love yeah. it, and and tell, everyone's gonna want to know what what did you eat, what did you drink, oh, man? What didn't I eat? But I ate a lot of stuff, you know. Christmas again, Christmas and Easter. If you if you don't well, if you're still able to speak after lunch. That means that you didn't do it properly. There was a lot. We ate a lot of stuff. We are so full. Uh, what did I eat? Um, I think I had a puttanesca spaghetti. Oh, yes. That's my favorite pasta. That was good. Uh, uh, then we ate uh, like oven baked potatoes and sausages. And what's that called? Salsicce patate, basically. Just salsicce patate. And then we. I think we went straight to the sweets, which are the big ones for Easter. You know, pastiera, pastiera dolce, pastiera salata, and casatiello. Those are the three main big ones. The Holy and, Trinity. Uh, I might, ex- I might venture if that isn't too blasphemous. That no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you guys have ever eaten a pastiera. If I don't know if you guys even heard about pastiera. If you didn't, um, you've been missing out, guys. You've really been missing out. It's one of my favorite uh, pastry sweets in the whole world. I can't get enough of pastiera. It's crazy. And the problem is that I think it's the, one of the most caloric foods in the world. I think if we eat a slice of pastiera, you're like calorie-wise, calorie you're good to go for, an, for a week, basically. 
because it's so heavy, so caloric. So... Well, tell me, tell me what, what does it look like? Come on, paint the picture. There'll be people listening. No, man, I, like, I, don't, I, I wouldn't do it justice. I, I just think we should probably tweet it. So because it's honestly, it can do justice, just like beautiful orange. Oh, man, just too beautiful, you know, like sugar on top. So, so good. But even if we, if you see it, that's not enough. You, if you have to try, you have to eat it. And the problem with pasiera in Napoli is that it's, it's basically, it's, it's, it's kind of like pizza, you know, like you can eat it everywhere, but everyone, every place, every family claims their pizza. And, well, not the pizza because pizza you eat in a restaurant, but basically every family makes their own pastiera and every family claims that their pastiera is the best in Napoli. This is like without fail. This is everyone says, no, my pastiera is the best. Or everyone has an aunt who is like bakes like the best pastiera in Napoli. And I do have one and her pastiera is the best one in Napoli. So I'm oh, sorry for all the other families. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. And uh, yeah, no, I ate an ungodly amount of pastiera on Sunday and we still have leftovers. So I ate pastiera on Monday. I ate pastiera today and I will keep eating pastiera for another week, I think. Uh, so we have to do a shout out to 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 your Zia, who is the is the champion of all Napoli. Ziatina, thank you so much for the pastiera. I'm sure she she doesn't speak English, but I'm sure she's a listener. So thank you so much. Of course, I mean everyone is. So thank you so much, Ziatina. That was a wonderful pastiera as always. Does she support and, Napoli? Yeah, everyone. Yeah, of course. Who, who's her favorite player? If you had to say, I don't know. No, I, I haven't spoken. No, I, I usually like I used to watch games with uh, with her husband, Zio Renato. Thank you, Zio Renato, for for Ziatina and her pastiera. And yeah, I used to watch games like it was a period of my life where I used to watch every game in my grandparent, the grand, grandfather's house. And that was with him, Zio Renato and uh, Tonino, one of their friends. And they were all, uh, all of them were over 80. And then there was me. Like a 23, 24 years old. I love was, that. That's great. I, Imagine all the matches they've seen from the history of Napoli. Yeah, that's why it was interesting because every time, and then there was like so, someone did something and they were, they were referencing, oh, you know, it's just like this guy from the 70s. And then this is like a, some obscure name of a player from the 70s, which uh, I didn't know about. And it was all the time like that. And they, yeah, they've seen it all, right? So because it was this very is interesting. The era. This is the era, Michele. We're going to talk about the other stuff soon, but this is the era that I'm most fascinated with in terms of all of Napoli history because there's such scant footage. The the Luis Finicio total football that they won the cup, didn't they? And you had like Antonio Giuliano, who's the captain for what, 12 seasons and he was from Naples. But we don't know what they were like. I mean, you know, I don't know what they... So so your, your Zia and your Zia and your Nonno would have, would have been there to watch those guys in the actual stadium right yeah yeah i don't know if i don't remember if they used to go to the stadium i think they did but no definitely they watched it all definitely they watched it all my father used to go to the stadium in the 80s it was a season ticket all the when maradona was here yeah. So yeah he has a lot to, to talk and about on that r- rude crawl like there isn't really any footage of him playing yeah. There's a lot of footage of him playing for Holland, and he's amazing. Ruth Kroll, yeah, Ruth Kroll is one of those players who's always been mentioned to me a lot, like very often. And every time, like honestly, obviously, I mean, I was born in the 90s, so I have never seen Ruth Kroll, Ruth Kroll play. But they've always told me Ruth Kroll was unbelievable. They always described it to me, like the ones who actually saw him play, like he was a, like one of the probably like 10, top 10 best players Nabal has ever had. Yeah. So it was... 
very interesting to know, you know, again, because he also, he was a defender. It was like, I think it was a libero. He was, yeah. Probably. Well, he played, he played mostly as a right back for, for the famous Dutch team of the 70s. And I mean, I don't, th- I bet he could play anywhere like all of those guys. But like, I don't think, well, it probably is controversial to say he was the greatest defender of all time. But I always say that, that Napoli is the only club in the world that's had the greatest forward of all time and the greatest defender of all time play for them. You know. Nice, but yeah, he wasn't. That. So he was much older when he came to Nap- Napoli, and I think he, he played as a as a well, we would say sweeper, but libero, and he hadn't really played there before, so he adapted. Yeah. And he was there during the earthquake, I think, and he did a lot of really cool stuff to like help in the city. So I think that that's part of the reason why he's sort of part of the culture of the place. Anyway, um, so the Roma game, talking of Easter, that was on Pasquata, and he talked a bit about that last time round. So, but you weren't doing the traditional thing that you would normally do on this day. Yeah, so Pasquetta is usually like an outdoor public holiday. You take advantage of the fact that it's usually spring or it's supposed to be warm when when Pasquetta, the Easter Monday, takes place. So usually people celebrate by going out on a walk or usually having barbecues outside and stuff like that. Unfortunately, or fortunately, well, not unfortunately, actually. (laughs) thinking about the game well i couldn't go to celebrate with my friends uh, i had a nice barbecue planned they've been planning that for like a month but yeah i don't want to complain too much but as some of you know napoli has unfortunately went uh, gone back to paper tickets so i was outside the stadium since the morning basically um meeting people who got tickets through me people i had to get in tickets to and uh I love it. I honestly love it. But I just wish the game took place on, on Saturday, you know, the yeah, Saturday yeah. Yeah, before Easter, because I would, have, I would have liked to do both things. My friends will never forgive me for skipping this Pasquetta. They sent me, they were cruel this time around. They were like, yeah, we know we are not here to help people, but still uh, just look at all this picture, all the meat, all the, all the sausages, all the nice stuff we're eating, the bruschetta, the the pastiera and stuff. So they sent me a lot of pictures of, of their barbecue to make me suffer. And, I hope uh, no yeah. one's hungry who, who's listening to this show because basically all we've done so far is talk about food. I'm sorry, but this is a podcast from Napoli. That's all we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, so, and a month to prepare. I mean, that's, yeah, that's quite... So Excessive, like... I would say, to be is honest. It... Yeah, I mean, it's just a barbecue, but they were... Yeah, they, yeah, I mean, yeah, they were, they, they, again, it's an important thing, you know, like it's Pasquetta, it's only once, once a year. So yeah, you have the opportunity to gather with friends, but Pasquetta is a, is a tradition for everyone. Everyone goes outside and um, has a barbecue with friends and stuff. So they were really, we were, uh, we were, especially after COVID, you know, because uh, due to COVID, we didn't do it. Um, mm. Yeah, we didn't do it last year and the year before, I think. Yeah. So yeah, this was actually the first Pasquetta we could do. Uh, since 2019 19, yeah. or 20. I don't know if uh, maybe, uh, well, so what, but still, so, you know, right, it's a big tradition. Where's the best place to do it? Where's your, no, sorry, where's your favorite place to do it? In no, it's, it changes all the time. I think three years ago, I did it in a public park. I don't remember where it was. It was in Campania. It was very beautiful next to a creek. Uh, beautiful stuff, yeah. No, very, very sunny. No, the problem with Pasquetta is is that uh, there's kind of like a joke about it because it's always I mean, it's an outdoor uh, public holiday, 
so uh, the tradition is that it's always raining. Like it never rains, like maybe in April, like it's usually very sunny, but by tradition, every time Pasquetta happens, it's rainy. And this time around, it didn't rain. It was actually surprisingly sunny. But and yeah, I mean, ov- obviously, because I couldn't go there. So yeah, maybe, um, maybe yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe next year, next year. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you a specific place. I know some people went to the actual, like actually went on the Vesuvius for a trekking and a, a barbecue there. A lot of people just go to, um, some, some people go to the beach even because it was quite warm, actually. Yeah. Uh, some people, maybe they, if they have a house with a garden, they just go there. You know, it's not about the place. It's about being together, you know, with friends and stuff. It's just, yeah. it's not necessarily about finding a new place to do it, where to do it. Okay. Um, what, you know, just to compare, I spent my Easter Monday in my brother's basement flat in Brighton. It's basically the same thing, though, right? Playing, uh, well, watching the game, but, but also playing a very nerdy game, which <laughs> is a cross, cross between American football and, and, and something called Warhammer, which is incredibly nerdy. So I couldn't have had a different experience. So yeah. just hearing you describe <laughs> this, I think of my strange country and our inability to be able to stop and enjoy themselves. But, you know, c'est la vie. So, okay, the actual, pas- the actual Pasquetta we're going to talk about is unfortunately one that involves... Um, Napoli drawing 1-1 with Roma at home. So we're gonna, I'm going to do this like we always do it because there's other podcasts out there that you can listen to when you can hear about inverted wingbacks and all that kind of stuff, and that's fine. But we give you the, the perspective from the game itself. So like before the match, and you were saying last week that you didn't think it was going to sell as well, and it didn't, but it, there was still quite a lot of people there. No, no, it's did, true, yeah. Did it feel like people would rather be having a barbecue on the beach? before? No, the you know why? You know why? It's... Um... So basically, as I said, um, Easter is a second, it's a second Christmas here. So a lot of people, expats who live abroad, like Napolitan people who live abroad or even outside Napoli, but in Italy, they come back to Napoli to be with their families. So I think most people, well, maybe not most, but that, like a good chunk of people who were at the stadium on Monday were people, like expats, you know, people who uh, came to Napoli after a while, after months. To, to visit their families, spend time with their families. And, you know, this time around, uh, Napoli played on Pasquetta, so they grabbed the opportunity and went to the stadium. So that's why I think it was, it was admittedly, it was uh, busier than I thought. It was more full than I thought, but it still, it wasn't close to uh, Napoli Fiorentina level. Napoli Fiorentina was sold out. It was 50,000 people, 48. They don't, they don't tell us specific like uh, official numbers for attendance anymore, unfortunately. But I think Roma, based on my experience, I think for the Roma game, it was like close to 40,000. It was probably like 35, between 35 and 40,000, which is still a lot. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot. That is a lot, though, Michael. I mean, even with the the Saudi Scudetto run, the stadium didn't... I agree. No, but a lot of people are surprised by it because a lot of people believe, you know, like they see the... The full capacity of the stadium is 54,000, 53,000, something like that. And then they're used to stadiums abroad being sold out all the time. Uh, in Italy, it doesn't work like that. There are a lot of differences with uh, stadiums outside. All, all tickets are nominal. You have to have your name on the ticket. So 
you can you can do it like the Barcelona fans who get the tickets and then resell them to Frankfurt fans. You know, twenty thousand Frankfurt fans in the camp now. Yeah, that was so amazing, amazing. But still, you know, like uh, it's amazing to see from outside. But I would be so angry if it happened in Napoli. Well, it can't it can't happen in Napoli because you can't just buy the tickets just in case and just and then sell it to someone. Uh, if you don't plan to go, the Napoli doesn't work like that. Once you buy the ticket, it, you can get a refund. You can put it on the secondary market. That's it. You bought you the tickets. Yeah, exactly. No you either use it or you don't. Play. No matter how bad, how much they let you know, you have to sit there and watch that nonsense. So, okay, but what was the atmosphere? Was it like, were people, was it like, oh, I've got to go and watch the team. It's probably going to go wrong. Or was it like, no, this is, here we go. No, I think the atmosphere was good. Again, the people don't really go to the stadium if, if they don't feel like going. So the fact that the stadium was kind of full shows that people wanted Napoli to win. People wanted Napoli to, to play well, obviously. And people actually uh, thought we, we could win or we could do something nice with, the, with Roma and with the game. The atmosphere was good. I would say it was good. And uh, again, as I said last week, the prices weren't really that low. So again, if you spend that price and uh, you you don't attend the Pasqueta tradition of going to a barbecue with friends and instead going to the stadium, then it means that you actually believe that Napoli will do something good with the game. So no, the atmosphere was good. It was full of, uh, dare I say, like believers. Um, yeah. Which, which uh, isn't you, as we have gone into great detail on this show, that you are very, very much a non-believer. Um, and obviously before the game, you're incredibly busy because you have to help, you know, you have to give people tickets and all that kind of stuff. Um, but what you could hear from inside the stadium, usual kind of chanting, did Mario re, did he, did he score a goal in the warm-up or were you not there to see him? I wasn't there. Unfortunately, uh, a few people were late with the team because people never believe me. When I say Napoli is chaos on match day. They don't believe me. They say, oh, sure. I mean, I'll be there 20 minutes before kickoff. It doesn't work like that, guys, in Napoli. <laughs> if you plan to be there an hour before kickoff, you'll probably be there on time for kickoff because people don't believe me when I say, you know, traffic is insane on match day. Always, but especially on match day. This is uh, very good advice, everybody listening at home. You please pay attention. Yes, because again, I, I, I give it to everyone who gets tickets through me, a lot of advice, but ne- they never believe me. And uh, yeah, and they, they get in touch with me saying, oh, you know, you were right about KO, you were right about traffic, or you were right about the uh, trains being delayed. So yeah, a few people were uh, late and it's fine and it's okay. But I, I could only get inside the stadium after the, at the fourth minute of the game. So I so you missed the, whole... the main event. You missed the main event, which is the Mario... But it was so funny because I was outside the stadium when that happened and uh, I knew that they were warming up based on the songs they were playing because they always play uh, the same songs when Napoli is warming up. And then all of a sudden I started hearing, oh, and then, yeah, people celebrating <laughs> what, what could only be Napoli's uh, Mario Ruiz goal during warm-up. So yeah, I heard that a couple of times. Uh, I, mean, and I, love then, I love it that this is, and I think now, like anyone who listens to this show and then comes to watch Napoli play they're not coming to see Giro Mertens or Fabian Ruiz are they they're coming to see the warm-up and Mary Ray scoring a golazzo yes but, the but warm-up that, exactly but to do that you have to be early at the stadium 
to give nice. them plenty of time. Play. So, okay, so you paint this picture. I like this picture. So it's it, it's Pasqueta. There's about 40,000 people there. They kind of believe. There's the songs. There's the warm-up. Um, in you go in the fourth minute. Probably have to get a slightly crappy spot. Where Whereabouts were you? In, in no, Pisco? unfortunately, I had some friends going in earlier. So I asked them to save me a seat. We were quite in the middle again. It was, yeah, it was one of the last rows in the middle of the Curva B. So no, it was decent seats. I didn't have any flags in front of me. I, I couldn't ask for a better seat. Okay. Uh, then... Full of families. Uh, Curva B was full of families, full of uh, young people again. It was very nice. A very nice crowd. Um, the atmosphere, again, was decent, I think. Uh, you could tell it was different from Fiorentina, to be honest. Right. Because with Fiorentina, um, I think people were more excited. You know, like this is like against Roma, it was kind of like a last resort kind of thing. So yeah, you're excited, but you're kind of like, oh, you know, this is danger. If we don't win this one, you kind of you can actually tell. You know, you can actually tell people are like scared and they're worried about it. But with Fiorentina, people actually you could feel people wanted to fight. You know, you could feel like people wanted you know the actual fight. We're like, no, we're gonna do this. Um, and, th- and then and then we didn't. So okay. and then we didn't. Yes. Yeah. So you you're in the curva. And then what, about 10, 11 minutes in, Chucky Lozano bursts into the penalty area. Yeah. Incredibly obvious penalty, which isn't given for some bizarre reason. And then and then VAR reviews. So what's it like? We haven't really talked about this. What's it like when something like that goes to VAR in, in, in Curva B? What's the, what, are, what do people do? Uh, you know, it's, it, that was kind of weird because obviously the penalty happened on the Curva A side. Yep. And as you might know, and as most people might know, Napoli Stadium is very big. It's very big because of the uh, running track around the pitch. So I think once I, I calculated once, like between like the distance between the last row in Curva B and the last row in Curva A, so the whole length of the stadium is like 200 meters, something like that, even, even, even more than that. So, yeah, so I was in one of the last rows in Curva B and the penalty happened in the box in Curva A. So what do you think I saw? Nothing, man. I just, like, I actually thought that there was no penalty. I kind of, I, for what I could see, it was kind of soft. But again, I know that I, could, I can't trust my eyes when, when things happen on the other side of the pitch. So what's so, the feeling, though? What's the feeling in the cover when something's happened, it's going to go to VAR, you're, that kind of anticipation, that waiting. What, how, do, how does your typical Napoli fan um, you know, Again, himself? again, I, I, we kind of trusted the people in Curva. The people in Curva were closer to the, to the action. They were protesting hard. Yeah. We, we were protesting by inertia. You know, we're confused. Like, oh, yeah, okay, let's, let's make noise. But I didn't... You were, you know, as we say, you were kind of grabbing the tailcoats. Yeah. The no, I honestly didn't believe there was a penalty. But again, I know not to trust what I see when it happens so far. So I was waiting for uh, someone to tell me, like some people, uh, some people are in the curva and on the stadium in general, and they listen to the game on the radio. Uh, yeah. I think it was something like, it was some kind of tradition back in the 80s, in the 70s, because obviously you didn't have any uh, television broadcasted games there. So, and most games took place at the same time. So if you wanted to know what was happening in the rest of, uh, you know, the rest of the pitches around Italy, uh, what Milan or Juventus were doing at the same time as Napoli, um, you had to listen to the radio on the on the on the stands on the uh, in, in the stadium. So uh, some people still do it uh, from that generation, probably. 
Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I I take my phone and ask people who are watching on, on television. You know, guys, tell me what happened because I can't see anything from yeah. here. And, and then, yeah, some. So then you have no, to it's... watch this, this penalty from basically two hundred meters away. Yeah, I mean that we're used to it. I mean you are used to. It. It's easy to spot goals as long as you don't have a flag in front of you. No, the problem was the weight, you know, because it was uh, such a long wait uh, after what happened and. Then he went to VR, to the VAR, and uh, yeah. So no, it was very ex- obviously very exciting, but it was too early uh, in the game. It was very early at the beginning of the game. So yeah, I mean, we score, but you don't really... I mean, yeah, you celebrate the score, but uh, it's too early to think that we're going to actually win this, especially after so many times that Napoli actually, uh, you know, scored or went so close a- to it, especially at home. You know, we I don't trust this team at home. We've been scarred before. So we, you know, celebrating too hard, especially, what, what was it, the 15th minute, something like that? I think by the time Pelsi was second, it was that, yeah. So, uh, okay, a couple of things here from, from this moment. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. When that, winning a penalty and it being scored then is a recipe for disaster at home. And it's not good. You know, we've been burnt too many times. How did you feel about Insigne kissing the badge and all that stuff? And how did I, didn't, that I didn't see that. I didn't see that. No, it was too far. I just saw, like, when, when Insigne went on the... When they to kick the penalty to to shoot the penalty, well, I, I didn't. I, mean, I don't trust Insigne to some penalties. He's he's missed so many, and yeah. he always shoots it in the same way. It's uh, it's unbelievable to me that keepers still don't know how to save an Insigne penalty. He always shoots on the left yeah. because if you're not a good penalty taker, you should basically you shoot uh, diagonally, like you know, like especially well compared to. I mean, he's a right foot uh, player, yeah. so he shoots to the left. If you are a left footer, you shoot to the right. That's usually um, how you do it if you're not a very good penalty taker. And that's how Insigne has been doing it for, I don't know, months, I think. is, And it's unbelievable and They always to me. dive the right way, the keepers as well, but they just yeah, can't. But, I mean, he, he just yeah. strikes it too, too true. He sounded a bit like, it was like having a chat with, with Pino Batman there because uh, he was and still is the best penalty saver in the history of Serie A. Iskia's own Pino Batman. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Tela Batman, yes. Anyway, we could, we'll have another show about him. So, but what, they, I mean, I'm talking more of the kind of principle, like what, what's it like and, you know, as a as someone who goes to the stadium to see Insigne and he's done it whenever he's scored, he's been very much like pointing to the badge, kiss, kissing the badge, and yet he's going to Toronto. What, what how's that, how, how's that going down? No, it's, you know, it's quite normal. You know, I'm, People, I would say, people are not very emotional about this. Okay. Uh, we are not treating him any differently than in any other. Maybe, maybe better. You know, like Insigne has been not very often. It didn't happen as often people claim, but he he had been he has been booed in the past. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's. I mean, I wouldn't say it was undeserved. To be honest, I would never boo players. Personally, I never done that. Our players, at least, you know, especially if the game is still on. After the game ends, if it, if it's a very particularly bad game, then I, I, I mean, for me, it's okay to show your discontent. You know, it's show that you know there was an an unacceptable performance and stuff like that. You can do it, I, I believe. But during the game, you have to support. You know, like you hear me being so. Uh, sad and maybe negative sometimes but i'm not like that on the stadium and i don't boo players i don't do anything like that i just support 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 and then when the game ends um 
sorrow and sadness overcomes me and uh, yeah overcomes me and then I'm I become yeah, depressed basically but Mel- lately melancholic I believe yes. so I think but it's interesting this kind of speaks to a broader conversation that perhaps we we can we can have now is that there is this resignation and this kind of disappointment and there is this sense of like when Sydney is going there's and we know that's been happening for a while and it's just going to happen there's the sense that yeah this team is is in third and technically they're in the Scudetto race but we kind of know it's not really good because we've been there before with these players do you think there is this sense of this kind of almost sort of end of an era thing going on here where we're sort of you know scared to get too excited Mm, I wouldn't say it's specific to this season I think a lot of things have changed for a lot of fans after 2018 Mm. after the Inter Juventus game after the Fiorentina Napoli game after that season the 91 point season the last year with Sarri uh, after that season a lot of people um a lot of people I know actually to, and talk about they stopped going to the stadium. They they still support Napoli because unfortunately or fortunately, that's not something you can get rid of. Yep. So you still support Napoli, but a lot of people, including my father actually, have um have stopped being too attached to football in general. A lot of people have stopped believing it was a fair game, mm. if you know what I mean. With that, of, with that red card that, that, that wasn't in the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of things happened in that season, especially in the last uh, months of that season. And uh, I'll be honest, I, I too went through a process where um, I, I, I don't think I will ever watch football again uh, the same way after 2018. Uh, I've been scarred a couple of times because of Napoli. After Iguain left us, mm. I haven't been able to get attached to a player as much. I wasn't like such a big fan of Iguain, to be honest. I love uh, Koulibaly more. I love Mertens more. But after uh, Iguain left us, um, I never recovered, to be honest. Like I will never. I, it changed the way I I look at players. Uh, changed the way I perceive players here. Um, mm. I didn't expect that to happen at all. It's and I don't think any any it's, one of us believed. It's like being in a relationship, and when you know somebody cheats on you, you know. Do you, then the trust is gone in that relationship, but it's also gone, takes years to recover from that kind of stuff. So, I mean... Unbelievable. unbelievable. I'm, still, I'm still scarred by that. It's unbelievable. And a lot of people too. That and then the Sari season, I think affected people a lot, especially my generation. You know, we had never seen this stuff. You know, a lot of people experience Altafini uh, playing for Napoli and then joining Juventus. You know, it's happened before. Oh. Dino Zoff. Dino Zoff. Yeah, it happened before, but my generation, people say, when I say this stuff, people say, oh, but what about Quagliarella? It's different. It's different, yeah, it you great. know, it's different. It's different. I, I was also sad when Quagliarella, Quagliarella left, mm. but it's, it's just different. Quagliarella was here just one season. It wasn't, it was a good player, but it wasn't, come on, Higuain just got the, the all-time goal, uh, record, the uh, gold record of the Serie A, you know. It was our jewel. We're so proud. Everyone was looking at him and we were like, no, it's ours. It's only ours. And then yeah. it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't anymore. Yeah, he was, Unbelievable. People, he was, he was U- Juve. So, so yeah. let, let's go back to the stadium. So the goal goes in and as you say, okay, we're obviously pleased that Insignia scored, but then there is this sort of predominating fear that comes over us because of Napoli's terrible home record. And so sort of, how does that build, you know, did you feel the stadium 
become just as anxious as the players because once we get into the second half, and there's been a lot of criticism of Spalletti saying that he was too defensive. I personally, as someone that's watched a lot of Italian football, I don't see there's anything wrong with defending a 1-0 lead myself, but, you know, maybe I'm, I'm old-fashioned. If but, you can um, do it. If you could, exactly. It's like we were talking about last week, that you have yeah. to have the discipline to, to really make that work. Um, so, so was that tangible in the stadium, this sort of increased sense of anxiety? Or for, was it frustration? Like, how would you sum up the kind of mood as the game developed? It's always the same, man. It's, so, it's been the same for months now, you know? You start well, the, the crowd is behind the team and the team, you know, usually starts well, but then it gets really frustrating because we stop producing chances, we stop shooting on goal, we stop doing anything remotely close to being dangerous for our opponent. And then, you know, when something like that happens, it's, I mentioned that before, but it's very hard for the crowd, for the, for the fans to stay behind. I mean, we do. But it's very hard to be as excited, you know? Like, yeah. it's very hard to fight and chant and, uh, and support this team if the team doesn't give anything back. And it doesn't feel as real. It's interesting what you're saying about Fiorentina and the atmosphere, okay? They lost the game, but there was that drive to it. There was that crackle yeah. of energy that was there. And obviously, yeah. that went. And with the, with the Roma game, just as my no, plastic the, yeah. fan... It, it felt, you could hear the songs, but it didn't feel the same. It didn't have that intensity. No, but because it, like, it decreases over time because you, Napoli never does anything to excite the crowd, basically. You know, like sometimes in, Ita in Italian, we say that uh, it's sometimes it is the team which has to support the crowd and not the other way around. You never want to see that because you want unconditional support from the crowd. And I think they were having it, but sometimes, you know, it's very hard to support with all your heart, and for 19 minutes, for 90 minutes, a team which produces nothing. It, got, it becomes very frustrating, extremely frustrating. And you kind of stop, you know, you kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say you kind of give up because we're still winning until the last minute, but... Uh... So what was it like when that goal went in? It sounded like the quietest I've ever heard the stadium press. Yeah, a few people said that to me. I was, I, 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 I don't know the answer. I don't know how to answer to you because when that happens, I'm very, like, I'm in my own world, you know? Like, yeah. I couldn't pay attention to what was going on around me. I was just, I, I was very quiet myself. Uh, I started laughing, I believe, probably. Like, yeah, I think so. I started laughing and I started punching a friend of mine. I think, yeah, I, I have a friend to punch. At least. Yeah, I think that that's what happened. And I started making some jokes about this team which never disappoints something like that probably yeah i think yeah i should ask my friend because maybe he remembers i was could just you, yeah i just I probably i went crazy maybe because i can... could you say it coming could you could you say it coming yeah Did man you... i mean it's not like roma was super dangerous the whole game i think it was a very probably balanced game we didn't do anything but roma also didn't produce they produced more than us mm. but not that much more so um you know, like, I, I was hoping we could win. I don't think it was totally deserved, to be honest. Mm. But I was hoping we could win. It was the last minute, you know, after that, you kind of, I mean, you just hope we do it. It was and such the, a bad goal to consider. The defending was they're all over the place. Awful, awful, man. But again, if you don't produce anything, if you let chances, chances against you happen uh, time and time and time again, I mean, eventually something, something, will, something will happen. A ball will go in, you know. So it's, 
I was defeated. I mean, it's, it wasn't surprising for anyone. That's that's what I can tell you. You know, anyone like no one was surprised uh, by Roma scoring that goal, even at the last minute. People were defeated, but then again, you know, man, it, I, this has happened so many times this season in the stadium. So yeah, it was traumatic, but yeah, we were. I wouldn't say we were. We saw it coming, but we were ready for it. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and so. Um, I've got two things I want to say before we move on out of this game. Sorry, I know we should, we probably don't want to dwell on it, but like, what, what was it like after the final whistle then? So what, what were the crowd like? Is it just I quite know. quiet? Was it very I difficult? Just, like I just, I remember, I remember I was talking to my friend, I was laughing, yes. And I was making some comments about, about this team uh, very, uh, being very confused. When on the pitch, I was telling it to a friend of mine because a lot, what, what happens is that a lot of people complain about the team not having any motivation. And I think that's wrong. I think I mentioned that before. Yeah, I agree. And especially at the end, it was very clear to me, you know, because we had eight minutes of extra time, right? And in the minutes of extra time, especially if you were winning and then you're not anymore, how can you not be motivated to score? You know, it's impossible. It's impossible not to have the motivation to try to win the game and so our players were trying i think that was clear it's not about motivation guys it's about they have no idea what to do i don't want to keep repeating myself i still keep but how many shots on goal we uh did we have in the eight minutes of extra time zero yeah. right none not one eight minutes eight men eight minutes of extra time and we did nothing with the scudetto on the line. Like with the scudetto, well, in theory, with the scudetto on the line, eight minutes of extra time. Roma scores in the first minute of extra time, and you do nothing after so who that. Do people blame? Who do people blame in the stadium, Michele? No, no, a, no, man, no one. I mean, it's is Spalletti starting to get some rumbles of discontent from the from the tifosi. Or... Yeah, I mean, but it's hard to, you know, it's it's a very emotional moment. That moment, you know, like it's a very rational. People don't. Unless unless there is a big mistake for a player, you don't really go after players. You know, you're just very depressed. When I was talking about this uh, this stuff with my friend next to me, I was looking around me, and then there were a lot of people behind me and in front of me. They faced me, they turned towards me, and they were like just silently nodding <laughs> towards me, saying like, "Yeah, man, you're right. I agree with what you're saying." It was <laughs> depressing, but it was kind of funny, you know, because that's that's one of the things I love about about the stadium it's kind of like a group therapy i was talking to um one of the people i helped with the tickets uh monday and we're talking uh still on monday before the game no actually it was on saturday it was on saturday i met this guy on saturday and we're talking about you know the stadium and stuff and how disappointing it's been uh lately especially at home and we're joking about the fact that the stadium is usually it's like uh, we're talking about the fact that I love going to the stadium and he lo- also loves going to the stadium because it's kind of like a group therapy. You know, like anything that happens there, especially if it's bad, you know, like you kind of cope with it in the stadium with 40,000 people surrounding you and experiencing the same thing. So it's kind of like group therapy, like, yeah, I'm Michele, I'm 29 years old and uh, it's been 20 years of supporting Napoli and this is my <laughs> 50 feet in a row at home this season. Oh, hello, Michele. You know, Kind of like that. So you kind of cope with it. That's why I like going to the stadium uh, even when Napoli is bad. 
Well, yeah, it's the great thing about the shared experience of football. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of, it's easier to accept because you kind of cope with it inside the stadium and then you physically leave the place where that happened and that helps you process it as well. You know, you distance yourself from the stadium where you were, where, uh, from the source of your disappointment, basically. You yep. distance yourself, you go home and then it makes it easier because, you know, Inside the stadium, you're surrounded by people experiencing the same thing. And then going home, you go home with your friends and you talk about it. You kind of process it by talking about it. We're complaining, bitching about it, all this stuff. So, yeah, no, that's why I love uh, the stadium. And that's what happened on Monday as well. Uh, it wasn't about any specific player. It was just about here this, we are again. This know. is the great thing about football. It's where, you know, Matt, so Matt Busby said that the football without fans is nothing, you know, and it's, like a lot of people think that's because everyone's screaming and shouting and pumping their chest. And sometimes it is like that, but far more, let's be honest, as football fans, it's the other side. It's when it goes to shit and you've got those people around you that you can joke to, or you can complain to. And it's interesting, isn't it? That you don't have that on Twitter. You don't have that, that walking out of the stadium, that decompression. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm a theater director. It's the same thing with a play. You see a play end and then you walk out and you talk about it with people around, you know, you can decompress or whatever. You don't, on Twitter, it's so immediate. And with, you know, I don't really engage in a lot of the stuff because I, it doesn't feel like my experience of football, you know, because it's not, it's just like, bang, bang, this opinion. And actually football is about, well, there's diff- millions of different ways to enjoy football. But this is the big thing that I miss being here, not in the shadow of Vesuvio, is that moment when the smell of the grass gets smaller and smaller as you walk away and you can kind of talk about it. Very interesting. Um, yeah. And the whole city is like that. That's, why, that's what I love about Napoli, because we only have one team. So even the days after, the days after the game, you know that everyone in the, in the city is going to talk about you know, the game, the team, the performance. So like, the whole city is kind of, you know, you know that, that you know that you're surrounded by people who share the same happiness or the same sadness it events. And I suppose but, that's yeah. that's what must have been incredible about the 1980s when Maradona was there because th- that rare moment when the thing that shared is just this unadulterated joy. But um, unfortunately, that's what not what was happening this time. So it's like a giant support group. I love this idea. That's great. It is. Um, you know, slightly less conventional than perhaps some some support groups. Um, I was going to talk about Jose Mourinho, but I'm not sure I can be bothered, really. What what, what did you make of him going to to the the Maradona sites? Do you think it was just a bit bit performed, or do you think? No, was- no, no. I don't think so. I think it's, uh, Mourinho is a, a real, you know, it's a real character in uh, in the football world. I don't think it's fake at all. He wanted to go there because I think what he said. I think he said afterwards that. Um, he wanted to talk like after Maradona died, he talked uh, to his son about Maradona, his life, his achievements. He, he sounds like he actually admires Maradona. Hmm. So no, I think it was, if you saw the video, it was very well respected. Uh, we, I mean, Mourinho has always been a rival for us, right? Yeah. Uh, but it was like when he went there, it was like there were a lot of people around Mourinho, just like Napoli fans, obviously there. Yeah. Uh, just like praising him and uh, shouting, you know, compliments to Mourinho because there was all like if you show respect to us in Napoli, usually you get respect back. Even if you're a rival, hmm. you you get respect back. So yeah, we. I mean, there is no reason to love Mourinho for us, but we, what he did, you know, he earned 
I think he earned a few fans in Napoli after that. It was really nice. Okay. And he's never managed Juventus and he's deprived Juventus of quite a lot of glory. So that I think that also has some currency. Yeah, I mean, I think... It helps, yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, I'm pleased that that was a genuine thing. Because, I mean, part of me is, is you know, very drawn to Mourinho. It's, it sort of reminds me of Brian Clough, the legendary English, English manager. But the other part of me thinks his part of his personality that is incredibly unpleasant. But... Um, Anyway, he left Naples with a point. Um, so next up is Empoli. I mean, I just don't really know what to say. I mean, how do you feel about the next game? I feel nothing. I feel nothing. For me, what I've been talking about with, uh, with other friends is, um, is uh, you know, like a lot of people are talking about just Champions League now. Top four, and that's it. You know, I don't think I don't think there is anyone still believing. I don't know, like you know, like if you do, then okay. I mean, good for you. I'm, I don't want to stop you from believing, but come on, let's let's be honest. Yeah. Now. No, I mean, and, I think uh, some people do. I think I think Rafa was tweeting today. He still believes, so that's fine, Rafa. We're not we're not disrespecting. I'm you. not I'm not gonna stop you from doing it. I don't want to be the downer. You know, like I'm I'm okay. Like, but okay, realistically, like everyone I've talked to, it's. Uh, yeah, they were like, okay, let's get this fourth place or third place or whatever that will be, just the Champions League spot, which is big. Again, we talked about it last last week. I, I mean, the financial position of the club, we have been a couple of years without it and you know, spent a yeah, lot of money. Exp- yeah, exactly. But not just that, you know, like hearing the Champions League anthem yeah. back in the stadium, you know, it's something I really miss. It's something I look forward to. Yeah. So, so you know, very happy about that. And let's let's hope they draw an English or a Scottish club as well because I could see them twice. Anyway, um. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so before we recorded this, I tweeted something out from the Far From Vesuvius Twitter account, at Far From Vesuvius, and I, I predicted that we wouldn't be entirely full of the joys of spring. Um, and so I asked uh, you all a uh, really simple question. I said, uh, w- apart from culture, what are your favourite things about, about Naples? So if you if you got these replies in front of you, Michele, because I'm going to get yes. I'd love your perspective. So we've got... Let's begin with this incredible reply by at Sam82531827. Sam, I think you can find a more interesting Twitter handle, but it's fine. So, Sam, thank you, though. You've put three tweets. So I'm not going to read all of these things out. Um, I want you to pick a few things out of the things that Sam has put that, that he likes. Do, do you share any of these loves? Lot, yeah, I've been yeah, I'm reading the tweets. There's a lot. I love a lot of those things. Uh, personally, well, Pino Daniele is one of my favorite uh, artists. Yeah, so Pino Daniele. If you don't know who he is, then you should please go give him a listen because it's one of the greats, uh, Napolitan singers, songwriters. He died. I think he died what like ten years ago, something like that. He has this incredibly no, eight, eight years ago. So he has this yes, incredibly. I love him. Sort of full voice. You just know it's Pino Daniele at the moment. You and there's there's just a kind of group, a sort of it can only be him. That's what I like about his music. Like you just you know it's him the second you start listening to him. Yeah, Sam, Sam's list is very thorough. I love it. He, oh, he went on. from uh, from. No, I love it. Like he he listed a lot of. I see like a lot of, uh, well, uh, singers, a lot of artists as well. But yeah, then he mentions the view from Vomero. I love that. It's really nice. It's really nice to mention that. Why? Because it's just, you know, it's very, it's different. 
and uh, it feels personal to him because Vomero has a nice view, but I wouldn't say it's the best view in Napoli. So for him to mention the specific view from Vomero, which is nice and it's panoramic, but I wouldn't say it's the best one, feels nice. You know, it feels personal. That's why I like, I love to see when people, you know, have a personal connection to Napoli. I love to see that. So I love that he mentioned that. I love that he mentioned the Café Sospeso, which yeah. is really nice as well. Um, Copo Frito, I love it. I love it. But obviously, well, Antonio posted a uh, picture of well, two this is from at underscore underscore Antonito, who yes. apparently you know, uh, Michaela. So, so yeah. there's a picture. Please do look at it. We got yeah. So just tell me what this is. Yeah, he's a friend of mine. He lives in uh, in Florida, and uh, he he visited uh, last October. I think he came for Napoli Bologna. Okay. He, yeah, we went to the stadium together. And uh, yeah, so we walked around Napoli a little bit. We visited a few places and I made him try this Fogliatella. I think he hadn't tried it yet. Or at least he tried, but not the, you know, fresh, warm Fogliatella yet. And I have a couple of nice places I like. So I brought him there and uh, I think he ate a Fogliatella per day when he was there, basically. He always went, there, went back there. And uh, yeah, so in the picture, there are two pastries basically and uh, they are both sfogliatelle one is sfogliatella riccia which is crunchy which is, which is how would you describe it it's uh, uh it's not soft um yeah. it, crunchy it, is a good way it's crunchy yeah and the other one it's a uh, still the same but then what that one is uh, frolla sfogliatella frolla and that's one is the soft version of sfogliatella and uh, there is a debate in napoli well there are a lot of debates about food in napoli but the ongoing debate is are you a riccia or a frolla guy because people divide the divide into sfogliatella riccia people and sfogliatella frolla uh, people personally i don't trust anyone who says frolla i think they should be eliminated probably <laughs> I, I don't think they are normal people i don't think they're sane they should so, not be allowed in the stadium. They no, be- they should not be allowed to leave. I think there, there's something wrong with them. And that doesn't mean that Frolla is bad. Frolla is good, you know, but, you know, like, how can you compare that with a crunchy, warm, fresh Sfogliatella Riccia from the center of Napoli? Come on, man. It's, uh... I'm not just saying that. I'm not just saying that. I, I agree with you. Um, of course. And so- I, wouldn't do, I wouldn't do a podcast with you if I didn't know that. Okay, that's good. This could be very awkward. Could, we could have had to end this at seven. We got um, we had uh, Anthony at Tony Tiano thirteen eighty five said i dolci. I mean, yeah, there's a there's a there's a common thread here. We've got um at Cat Pasta saying pizza casta d'olivo, having Pompeii so close by. Nice. I think those three things. I mean, Pompeii's. I mean, obviously it's quite a touristy thing to go, but it just there is no one like it in the world. Um. We had someone saying something annoying. Remind me to block that person. Uh, Raf from the Napoli rant at Napoli rant. He's got a big question for you. So just, you know, top of your head, Michele, what are some of the things about Napoli culture that people should experience other than food? Because that is automatic. You know, I've thought about that. It's, it's not an easy question, especially if you have to point just one thing out. What I would say, um, and uh it's a complicated answer to give. But I would say, you know, part of the culture in Napoli, it's a, it's a big part of the culture, is the language. Because the language affects a lot of things. It affects how people think, 
hope you enjoy that's in general but obviously it's true in napoli because we have the neapolitan language not dialect it's a language it's there is a the i don't want to be the guy oh it's not a dialect. I mean, it's fine if you say it's a dialect but there is a difference because the italian language and the neapolitan language developed at the same time in parallel from latin so how can it be uh an italian dialect if it developed at the same time basically the italian language is just the tuscan you know the tuscany dialect that's it so the tuscany dialect and the napoleon dialect they developed from the same branch you know from the same tree the latin obviously they are neo-romantic languages yeah and uh so yeah obviously obviously now we speak italian but Napolitan is a language and it was the official language of the kingdom of Naples, basically. So it was also official, you know, there was like official documents written in it. So yes. what I would say is um, sometimes, you know, like I feel sad because a lot of people who love Napoli, they don't speak the language. And I think I feel sad because I would love to share that part of Napoli with them. But obviously it's not as immediate, you know, even if like there are a lot of movies. We talked about Massimo Troisi. Yeah. And a lot of like, I don't think you can experience, you can appreciate Massimo Troisi, which is um, very famous and one of the best Napolitan actors ever. Mm. I don't think you can experience his performance uh, fully if you don't know the language. If yeah. you don't speak the language, if you don't know the language, I think you kind of miss out on some things. And I feel sad because it's not something you can learn quickly. Not something you can learn if you don't probably if you don't live here, if you don't experience Napoli in person. So I feel sad because it's not something I can like I can't tell someone, oh yeah, you just read this book or do this course and then you're learning. No, it's a bit harder than that. So because of this weird hierarchy that exists, it goes back to some of the things that that we're kind of talking about. That that there's it's become this intangible culture and it shouldn't actually. It should be this thing that's I mean, I know um Eduardo de Filippo because he did lots of translations of Shakespeare plays into Neapolitan. So, you know, he's a theatre director, filmmaker, writer. So there's um, there's stuff out there, but yeah, I think you have to go there. So what you're saying, Mikel, is that we all need to move to, to Naples because until, I mean, until yeah, we're there, we're not yeah, Of course, yeah. Of course. And then we can do all the podcasts together in the shadow of the Vesuvius. Yeah, Literally in the shadow of the Vesuvius. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, no, the, la- the language is, I think, one of the biggest parts of the culture with which people know about, but Again, they know it's important, but they, I think, I feel they don't know how important it is because it literally changes the way you think, you know, like, I think that's true for many languages, but with Napolitan, everything is quicker. Uh, it's funny to me for, I think it, it applies to a lot of um, people who speak different languages. Like when you get angry and emotional, you usually go back to your first language, right? You, it's very hard to be emotional and speak a second language in an emotional state. So yeah. when people from Napoli, even like I, I, I speak, I mean, obviously I speak Italian and uh, I rarely speak Napolitan. Um, I mean, I do speak Napolitan, but I mostly speak Italian on my day-to-day life. But when I get emotional about anything, I'm happy or I'm, especially if I'm angry, to be honest, there is no way for me, it's physically impossible for me to speak anything other than Napolitan if I'm angry. It's a, it's extremely difficult for me. It's very very hard. It's like it's a torture. If you say okay, you're angry, talk to me in Italian. Then no, it's very very hard. It's very hard to convey my emotional state when I'm angry, or if I'm happy. If um, if yeah. not in Napolitan. To express very much happy moment. The um, yeah, and I'm sure the people listening that have family 
Uh, I know, I know, Rafa. I think it has a it's slightly different if you're second generation, but I think it's you'll have people that that express themselves in in that way. And I don't want to get too serious. I think it is a genuine thing that needs sorting out in terms of how how language and culture functions in in Italy. I think you know, um, you know, and oh, we got we got another question, haven't we? What's uh, this is from at Partano Francesco? Yes, yeah, Francesco. Okay, so this is a thing. This is an actual actual footy football question. Um, is it just simply different pressure that comes from fans on winning the league because they feel it's more attainable than the, the Champions League, or do they just value winning the league more? So this is an idea of like how do we play so well against PSG, Liverpool, Madrid? All big pressure, even at home, but then crumble at home to Fiorentina. I just don't get it. That's what Francesco says. Uh, you got a thought on that, Michele? Because you're there, you see it happen. Yeah, but it's it's very hard to answer that too, you know, because it's, uh, I mean, it's hard to compare PSG, Liverpool and Real Madrid games uh, to, Fiorentina, to the Fiorentina game. If nothing, because of, you know, a lot of, like a few years have passed. We've mm. changed a lot of players. We've changed two managers since then. So it's very hard to, to compare. Uh, I don't think, I, I mean, we weren't always like that. Uh, I remember with Mazzari, if we want to go back uh, through the years. Really good point. Mazzari, that team. Mazzari, yes. That had, uh, what did you say? Katsima. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we were very, very determined, let's say, yeah. to win games. I remember there was a record we had, like something like Napoli hasn't lost a home game in Europe since the 80s. I mean, obviously, we hadn't, we hadn't gone to Europe since the 90s anyway. We, but... we didn't really play that many games. That's fine. Yeah, That's fine. True. Okay. But still, you know, like we hadn't lost a Europe, like a home European game in years. Hmm. In years, even even when we uh, went to Champions League. I remember the first Champions League we had with Ma- we was with Mazzari. Yeah, we were in the group of death with Manchester City, which were the champions of England. Back then, we went, um, uh, there was a group with uh, Bayern Munich as well. And yep. I think Villarreal. And we didn't lose against any of them at home. Yep. Uh, we won against Manchester City. We drew 1-1 uh, against Bayern Munich. Yeah, we... Even then, after we went to the round of 16 and we didn't lose against Chelsea, who were... Who, who become eventually Champions yep. League winners. Yeah, so... And then, yeah, even the years later, we didn't lose against a lot of teams. Very but different then, kind of team. It's interesting, isn't it? Very yeah. different. You've got these explosive players... The, uh, but then also these kind of like not very good players, but that just are up for it, you know, yeah. like, I mean, Salvatore Oronica, I mean, that guy was not a very talented player. <laughs> or like Volta Gargano, you know, these kinds of people. But but then you had Cavani and Levetsi, obviously, and Hamsik who could make things happen. But it's a different energy. You're absolutely right. This team doesn't have that. Our current well, that team was... doesn't have any of that, really. Maybe Aussie men. I, I agree. Uh... <laughs> No, what I would say is, you know, Francesco is right. It's, um, there is, I think this team actually feels the pressure. That's something we've been feeling since the Mazzari era, since, I mean, always. But we were freshly up from Serie B, really. I mean, that, how many years were I agree. from being promoted into the Champions? I mean, it, there was no expectations. It four, was, three or four, yeah. It was but still, just, you know, like what I would say to Francesco is, because Francesco is listing the PSG game, Liverpool game and Madrid game. Yes, we didn't do bad against PSG and Liverpool. We won against the Liverpool and we didn't really lose against record. PSG. We twice, didn't we? But, but think about that. 
we didn't achieve anything because we, we, yeah, we didn't win against PSG, but it's not like we actually, you know, eliminated them from Champions League. They went ahead and we didn't. Mm. Liverpool, we won against Liverpool, but they went ahead and we didn't. Mm. Uh, Real Madrid, we had a very good performance against Real Madrid, but we won in the end. You know, my, first, Real Madrid like, won. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you are, yeah, he's listing a lot of games where we actually did well, but at the end, if you think about it, we didn't win anything. It's not like we actually eliminated PSG, Liverpool, or Madrid. They all won in the end. So uh, this team is a team which feels the pressure. I think this team performs very well when we are the uh, the underdogs. Mm. And that's, that's why, why every... getting back in the Champions League is so important, perhaps, Michele, because that's well, mentality. Yeah, I think we we kind of miss it to be honest. And those I really remember those 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 not the magic. You know, I think they Cavani scoring for Napoli in the Champions League, you know, there, there, there's moments where we just couldn't believe it could happen, and it did. And I think there's the very different feeling of we finished second a lot and third a lot, and what are you actually going to do now? And so maybe maybe that re-entry into the Champions League, as you say, is is going to be incredibly important for a whole different reason. Anyway, um, really great questions and thoughts. Thank you, everybody, who sent stuff in. It's really, really nice to be able to just respond to, to what you think. Um, now, you've been talking about the Neapolitan language, which is a language, not a dialect. Um, do you have a, fr- a Neapolitan phrase of the week for us, Michele? What if I say no? Wouldn't you be disappointed? Of course I do. Yes. Of course. I have a nice thing about them. It'd be quite funny no. if you did. You'd be like, no, this language is the most important thing. About <laughs> actually, yeah. I it can be restricted to just one phrase. I have a Napolitan uh, essay of the week. No, it's, uh, I have a Napolitan phrase of the week. And uh, I chose this one because I think we didn't really cover it. I mean, we kind of did, but I do have a person to blame for the Roma game and for the Fiorentina game. Um, and uh, yeah, no, well, I could say I don't, I don't mind. I, mean, I think you know what blame, but uh, this is the Napolitan phrase of the week, which describes what I think about also Napoli's uh, last bad performances. The phrase is O pesce feta da capo. I repeat, O pesce feta da capo. Okay, that would translate as the fish stinks from the head. That is the literal translation. And the explanation, the meaning of it is when something doesn't go well, when there is like a a company, when there is some kind of organization not performing that well, the problem usually comes from the head, from the boss, from who is in charge, let's say. You talking about the owner? You talking about the manager? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> okay that's a different podcast there's a well okay we'll leave that one that's like a cliffhanger that we're going to end on um yes i think i know who you're talking about and i think our listeners probably do too um well let's see how things end up come the end of the season um great that was a cool episode i like that i think it was a we talked a lot about naples and things beyond football but you know we gave you we gave you enough football to keep you entertained i think and so. if you and if you're listening to this thinking, well, I'm not sure, you know what you need to do? You need to get to Naples. You need to get there, have a wander around, and then this will all make even more sense to you. Um, yes. Before we go away, any, any last thoughts for our, for our loyal listeners? Uh, no, first of all, I want to thank everyone who uh, met me on Monday and on Saturday 
for before the game. So I I'm fortunate enough to be able to be in the position to help people to actually attend Napoli games. I've loved that. I it's really enriching for me. It's it's something I really I really appreciate. You know, I really like doing it, and I really like meeting all these people. You know. Uh, Napoli fans from all around the world, all around the world. I think I met people from like 30 different countries between wow. Saturday and and most of them are uh, Napoli fans. And uh, when I have time to talk to them, I like to ask them, you know, how did you become a Napoli fan and stuff? So it's very interesting to know, you know, like some people started following because of Maradona, some people started following Napoli because of FIFA. Like a lot of people, like especially the young generations. Yeah, that's say, all, I could yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started, uh, you know, playing uh, FIFA on the PlayStation, and I chose Napoli. I just liked the Lavezzi and Cavani and Hamsik, and uh, yeah, I started following the the team. I love it. I just want to say, um, I feel very strongly about this. Don't think you are less of a fan just because you started following Napoli because of a video game. No one in Napoli believes that. I read that sometimes. I read people saying. You're not a real fan because of this, this, and that. You started following, like, recently or because of a video game or because of a win in Champions League. I guarantee you, no one in Napoli will treat you will treat you um, differently just because you started following Napoli because of a video game or something similar. Or because Preach. you don't have, like, a grandparent who used to. Like, it's not a generational thing. No one, I, again, I, I repeat, because a lot of people are afraid of it, it like, physically afraid of it. They're like, I don't want to go to Curva because I'm afraid people like real Napoli fans in Curva would treat me badly because I'm not from here. That's never the case. Never. If if anything, you will be you will be treated better than Nap- the people from Napoli because we are proud of having uh, Napoli fans from abroad. We love to share our passion with uh, with people from all different cultures, different languages, and different backgrounds. It makes us feel very proud if you tell us i chose this team it's not something my father gave me we i actually chose this team yeah. and we know for a father we did you didn't choose this because we won you know last scudetto or something that that doesn't happen so you chose napoli despite uh, our lack of you know like trophies so we know that you actually chose napoli because of some kind of connection we really value that we are not gatekeepers in napoli um when it comes to you know uh supporting the team not at all uh so yeah don't be afraid of that and uh again i want to thank everyone who was kind enough to get in touch with me and you know who attended the game uh i love you guys and uh yes for sanavoli don't don't be scared of 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 uh ex of don't try to you know find excuses for for yourself you know like you are a real napoli fan as the people living in Napoli. So you're not any different. You're That's as a great message. I, t- I totally agree. I think there's, there's no better way to end this show than on, the, on that sentiment. And like, you're a fan, you're a fan. Welcome. Well, welcome to the support group. That is yes. I mean, you're still in time to change your mind. That's what <laughs> I want to say. Because that's a life of suffering and disappointment. Uh, but if you don't, then, you know, you know welcome to the club. <laughs> welcome to the city. Welcome to the, the culture and the team. Love it. Well, thank you very much, Michele. You can find Michele on Twitter at Napoli Tickets. I've been, I, I'm Henry Bell. I'm at Henry Bell Calcio on Twitter. This has been the seventh episode of In the Shadow of Vesuvio, which is part of the Far From Vesuvius network at Far From Vesuvius on Twitter. Um, really enjoyed that. Everybody take care. And Forza Napoli. 
sempre.